I've got a special interview with a man God is using around the world in Jewish ministry. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. Here's the number to call any of your Jewish-related questions, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, phone lines are open. Our joy to take your calls. Also, I did a dialogue, billed as a debate, but it was really a dialogue with Adam Green about Noahide Laws last night. A lot of folks were were watching it live on YouTube. If you happen to watch and want to weigh in, if you're one of those that agreed with Adam and and differed with me, by all means, give me a call. And uh, I did talk about the level of Jew hatred among his viewers, and Adam felt, yeah, there's some out there, but basically there are people that are just kind of fed up with wrong things Jews do. I I just want to give you a sampling of some of the comments that came in in response to our dialogue. Again, 866-34-TRUTH. I have the privilege of sitting here today with a dear friend of many years. I've watched God use him mightily around the world, John Burness, who is the director of Jewish Voice Ministries International. You've seen Jewish Voice broadcast on TV all around the world. And John has an amazing story He's a member of our board of Ask Dr. Brown, so he's in town for a board meeting today. So we said, well, obviously, you got to stick around and be part of our radio show. So John's here. I'm going to talk about his testimony, talk about things God's done in his life, what he's seeing, some amazing stuff, and then take some of your Jewish-related calls. And I'm going to share one thing that really blows the lid off a lot of the Noahide conspiracy law theory. All right. John, welcome to the Line of Fire. Great to have you with us today. Good to be here with you. All right, so Jonathan, your your testimony, when you came to faith, you were a drug dealer. Were you a drug dealer for any particular person, organization, group, anything like that? Boy, you're really bringing up my ancient past. I don't talk about this very much. I'm glad I didn't ask my wife and kids to listen to the program. Uh so I think you're getting what you, what you want me to share is that I had a close relationship with the Grateful Dead, which many of you remember. I hear they're actually touring again without their lead guitarist, Jerry Garcia. Uh, yeah, so I was uh, involved in the whole Grateful Dead scene and not actually dealing to them, but the, uh, some of their, their inner network were the, were the connection for getting the, the drugs and... Uh, <laughs> I, I had a lot of uh, experiences on drugs hanging out with the members of the band. Got it. And you heard a voice speaking to you, a heavenly voice that spoke to you before you were actually even born again. I guess people were praying for you. Uh, what, what happened? What did the voice say? Well, I actually, uh, I'll, I'll give you... <laughs> You're bringing up past sins of, of all, all under the blood. But I actually had an experience with the Lord 
during this whole Grateful Dead drug dealing time and walked away from everything to serve the Lord and then over the following months got pulled back into this whole scene. Uh, I learned, Mike, that you can't uh, have a relationship with the Lord and still live with drug dealers. It just doesn't work. And it was shortly after I went back into the Grateful Dead as a brand new baby believer that I was standing on the sound on the platform for the soundboard uh, in a Grateful Dead concert, and I heard a voice in the midst of this music and all of this craziness. Mm. A voice told me that uh, I had a higher calling, and I heard the Lord not speak to me, but to. Satan or the principalities and powers over this whole uh, psychedelic scene and said, you have to release him. One that is higher has called him. Mm. This, this, whether it was an, an angel or the Lord himself, and it was shortly after that that I made a complete break from all this and committed my life fully to serve the Lord. Do, do you know if people were praying for you at that time? No doubt people were praying for me. By name, uh, I ended up at a Bible study because a girlfriend uh, who received the Lord just a few months earlier had her whole Bible study and her new church members praying for her Jewish friend Jonathan by name. Mm. So absolutely, I believe in the power of prayer, and I would not be here today if it wasn't for the prayers and intercession of people that I grew to know and love but had never met before then. All right, and, and then after a number of years, God called you to lead a Messianic congregation in upstate New York. I remember speaking there for you many, many years ago, and the Lord r- really moved. Many lives were touched. And then you got an unusual calling, uh, and, and it took you overseas with one of the more pronounced harvests in, in the history of Jewish ministry. What, what happened? Yeah, it was an amazing time in, in history. Uh, in 1990, I took a small group to the the Soviet Union. It it was still the Soviet Union at the time. I was touched by a movie by a guy named Jay Rawlings called Gates of Brass that uh, chronicled the lives of a few Jewish people that had lost their jobs, their homes, because they wanted to learn Hebrew. They wanted to identify with their Jewish heritage, which was taboo in the Soviet Union at the time. And the amazing experience that I had in six days was I led more Jewish people to faith than I had in six years of of Jewish ministry up until that time. And in 1992, uh, the, I was coming back from a trip uh, from from home, coming home from Belarus, and I was reading uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, which I think is one of the clearest statements in the Bible of the concerning the last days. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in every nation, and then the end will come. And I started to have a dialogue with the Holy Spirit, uh, and I just just a, this conversation in my head that the the, the word nation is is not speaking about countries uh, or geopolitical boundaries, but talking about people, uh, ethnos, and uh, with the understanding then that the gospel is to the Jew first. And I heard the Lord say to me, "I want you to go back." to Russia and reach my people, my people being the Jewish people, of course. And that led to this extraordinary adventure. I I actually resigned after nine years of pastoring in upstate New York, Rochester, New York, and I moved to St. Petersburg, Russia. And we conducted a a music festival. By faith, I rented a 4,000-seat hall 
Mike, I had no idea if anyone would show up, but uh, we ended up packing the place. 13,000 people came over three nights. Mm. Uh, standing room only. We had to turn hundreds, if not thousands, of people away. And that led to uh, to traveling all over the former Soviet Union, renting concert halls and eventually football stadiums filled with Jewish people that that heard the gospel. I had an opportunity in the midst of these music and dance festivals, uh, Jewish people coming to connect with their culture, their culture that they weren't allowed to to connect with before then, and knowing that they were going to hear the, uh, about Jesus. And uh, the miracle during that time was that Jewish people did not uh, have this preconceived idea that you can't believe in Jesus as a Jew. And I had the opportunity to share my testimony, and I saw literally, no exaggeration, tens of thousands of Jewish people respond in altar calls, many with tears streaming down their faces praying with me to receive Jesus as their Messiah. And and then there was follow-up with, with congregations planted, leaders raised up. So it wasn't just a massive harvest, but then fruit that was born with congregations planted, many of those people subsequently making Aliyah to Israel. So what did you see with your subsequent trips going back and, and seeing lasting fruit? What can you say honestly has happened? Yes, the amazing packing stadiums, people coming. I remember looking at some of the pictures just stunned as, as, as we were all stunned at what God was doing, this unique moment where these Jewish people had been so been brought up in such a vacuum, they didn't know they shouldn't believe in Jesus as Jews. No one had really told them that. So they were kind of blank slates ready to hear the message. Exactly. What did you see happen in terms of lasting fruit, congregations planted, people making their way to Israel afterwards? Well, first of all, I meet people in Israel all the time that come up to me and say, I was at your festival in 1995 in Moscow or 97 in uh, Odessa or whatever, and they're walking with the Lord, they're serving in congregations. Some have actually moved to Israel and started Messianic congregations or uh, uh, outreaches for drug addicts or or, um, uh, single mothers. It's been incredible. Next week, uh, I'll be in Ukraine uh, for Messianic Leaders Retreat uh, in Kiev. The congregation in Kiev that was planted in 1994 through one of these music festivals now is the largest Messianic Jewish congregation in the world. They have about 1,400 active members, mm. and about two-thirds of them are from a Jewish background. So it's taken root. There's dozens of congregations in the former Soviet Union now. They're one of the places on the uh, in the world where they, they're having effective outreach. Jewish people are getting saved weekly. You know, there's a misconception that Jews are totally uh, adverse to the gospel. They're not open to hearing about Jesus. It's just not true. Maybe harder in America with the baby boomer generation, but in places like Ukraine, and uh, we're, we're seeing in the rest of Eastern Europe and in Africa, there's places where there's Jewish people wide open to the gospel. And so it, it's really taken root. Dozens of congregations, uh, leadership is being raised up regularly, and they're making a tremendous impact, not just in the former Soviet Union, but in Israel and other nations now. And it was just, it was one of those divine moments, right? A, a unique door was opened at a unique moment in history. Even God provided funding supernaturally for you during that season, totally, didn't he? Totally, totally, totally. I got a call from someone that I had never met I I was down to the wire, Mike. It was about a month before we were going to 
conduct this first uh, outreach. We owed about $80,000 in expenses. I think I had fifteen or $16,000 raised. I got a call in the midst of praying and fasting because I was between a rock and a hard place, which is not a bad place to be sometimes. You have yeah. to depend on the Been Lord. There. And I got this call from somebody I'd never met saying, someone gave me your name. I just started a foundation. What are you doing to reach Jewish people? And he ended up paying for all the remaining bills and then took us into the following years when we rented football stadiums. Amazing. Friends, that just tells you when you have the heart and mind of God, when he calls you to do something, he gives you the burden, he gives you the vision, he'll back it. He'll make a way. A unique season of harvest. And here, God was looking for someone. Ladies and on John, they, you mentioned Africa, Jews in Africa. What's that about? We'll talk about that more and take your calls. 866 348 7884. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, that music tells you it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, which reminds me to tell you that we still have room for our Israel tour May 2020. It is a trip of a lifetime, and we combine the best of a tour with the best of ministry in the land. We spend every night together, Bible study, Q&A, sitting in on my radio show, interacting face-to-face, plus amazing tour by day. Uh, You don't want to miss it. May 2020, we're only bringing two buses. That's like 100 people. It's it's really a, a special, intimate time. We get great time together. I'll have meals with you. We'll get to hang out and interact. Uh, one bus fill, we're filling the second bus. So go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. You'll see it right on the home page. Uh, before I get back to my guest, Jonathan Burness, and talk about his journey in the Lord, uh, last night I was on Adam Green's No, K-N-O-W, No More News internet channel, uh, talking about Noahide Law's Zionist issues and things like that. And uh, Adam was as fair as could be, courteous, gracious, allowed me to talk freely. We put our disagreements on the table. Uh, so I couldn't ask for, for a, a more fair host than Adam. And from day one, when he heard what I was saying about Noahide laws and he had very different views, from day one, he knows that we reached out to him to have him on my show or me go on his so he said that publicly yeah, from day one, he was going to, then he hesitated, et cetera. So we, uh, it was candid. It was good. Uh, we just posted it. If you missed it, it's on the S. Dr. Brown channel, ASKDR Brown on YouTube. One of the things that I said to him was what he's putting out is, is provoking a lot of Jew hatred. So he, he took issue with that. He said, of course, yeah, there's some bad comments that come in here and there. And we were saying, really, it's a, it's a flood of ugly anti-Semitic comments that come in. And, and it's, it's in response to someone's being shared. So I asked my assistant, Dylan, to just run through the comments, not in the live chat, because that's tons and tons, right? But just to, to run through the comments that were posted on his channel. Again, Adam was fair, courteous, gracious. I couldn't ask for a better host in that respect. Let me speak. 
fair questions. We interacted. We shared our differences honestly in ways without demeaning one another. I deeply appreciate that. Uh, Stephen Ben Noon, we've been in touch with, with him. He's another one that took strong exception to our position. So uh, we're supposed to be on his channel in a couple of weeks. We've been in dialogue back and forth for a while. So I'm, I'm always looking to do that, sit down and talk through our differences. But Dylan pulled out just a sampling of 10 pages of some of the most vile junk you'll ever want to hear directed towards me. So I just want you to know what happens when we share our perspective, share the truth, share information, facts, what we get is pushback. Here's just some little sampling of comments. Again, I I got 10 pages here. Miss Mother Blank Mustache Conceals Swastika-Shaped Birthmark. That's very pleasant. Jews enslaved African-Americans blame Christians in Zionwood. Uh, This guy's yet another Ashkenazi Khazar fake Jew spreading their deception and lies. I think the anti-Jew comments are because Jews are anti-human. That Jew is so repulsive. I remember him being some, a part of some stupid cult. Guts and glory. The Hitler stash is tricky. Jews love to cloak themselves with PhDs and titles and such so they can push their lies with authority. Mason, I'm a Mason here, is squirming out like the viper he is. Play the victim shekel goblin. I discern that Michael Brown speaks with forked tongues. What a blanking sub. Never underestimate a Zionist. They rule for a reason. You can debate them, but they will have their way. An awakening needs to happen in the masses. Uh, this doctor has softened the rough criminal edges of Zion. He's a gatekeeper, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, I wasn't at all impressed by Brown's denials of being Mossad or Mossad informer. Uh, Adam is too prudent for the snake in the grass. And that's just a sampling from the first page of 10 pages, which is a sampling of the comments. So I tell you, when you get garbage like that, complete nonsense like that, people saying, I'm a Mason, I'm a Mossad agent, and all this other stuff, that tells you that their perceptions of reality are so far off. Their willing to, willingness to embrace lies and complete nonsense are so far off that that is part of why they are believing every type of conspiratorial lie against the Jewish people. All right. And in this, of course, and Israel did 9-11 and so on and so forth. And, you know, all this other stuff is there just a steady stream of it. I've no problem disagreeing with me. I've no someone disagreeing. I've no problem whatsoever. If someone said, you know, uh, I, I think, Adam, I, I really agree with his perspective. I think he's right. It's like, whatever. Obviously, I categorically disagree on a number of points and others where we have harmony. We have harmony. That's fine. I have no problem with someone saying, I, I, yeah, I think his position makes more sense, or I, I believe the evidence. I, I don't think he refuted his evidence. Whatever. Obviously, we differ with each other here, but that doesn't concern me at all. But when you get comments that come out that are full of venom, full of lies, full of ugliness, uh, it doesn't hurt me. I hurt for these people being so deceived. And, and to me, there's a reason when people believe all these lies about Jewish people, they, it, it's like they take in poison and it, it throws their ability to perceive and discern accurately. A real, real shame. Sad to see, but no surprise. We deal with it day and night. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, just wanted to share that with you. And if you happen to watch the dialogue and want to weigh in, give us a call. Uh, Jonathan, you saw a great harvest in the former Soviet Union. Uh, God called you to do some ministry in South America as well, didn't he? Yeah, we've been working 
consistently since 2000 in Argentina. We moved the festival to Mexico City, uh, Brazil. Uh, there's tremendous openness in South America and, and Central America. Uh, Mike, Jewish people are coming to faith in Jesus in, in pretty significant numbers consistently for several decades, and, and I believe it's a sign that we're in the last days. Hey, just one comment. Another, another sign of the last days is the great rise of anti-Semitism. And just listening to those comments, what, what's shocking is these people declare themselves to be Christians. Yes. And, and they're, they're, they're well-meaning, in many cases sincere, but they're sincerely deceived. This is a spirit. This is a very powerful spirit that has sought to destroy the children of Abraham since the time of Abraham. And uh, thank, thank God that he declares in his word that despite all of these efforts to destroy the Jewish people, as long as the sun shines by day and the moon and stars shine by night, they declare God's faithfulness to preserve the Jewish people as a nation. The only reason we're still here today. Yeah, is God's grace and God's purpose. Absolutely. The idea of being chosen people, this came up last night. Let's just stay here for a moment. Uh, Adam asked me about this, the idea of Jews being chosen people. Does that carry with it uh, an inherent sense of supremacy? And I said, for some Jews it does. For others, it's a sense of sacred responsibility. But bottom line is it's scriptural that God chose the Jewish people not because of goodness in us, but he chose the Jewish people because of his promises to and his love for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and chose the Jewish people to be a light to the world, ultimately expressed through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. But do the Jews remain in any sense God's chosen people, John, even though the mass amount of Jews and national leadership has rejected Jesus, the Messiah, over the centuries? Are the Jews still chosen in some sense by God? And I don't believe that chosen means that they have a separate plan of God apart from faith in Jesus like everyone else. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, but it's to the Jew first. It remains to the Jew first. I remember asking my teacher as a young teen pre-bar mitzvah, what does it mean that we're the chosen people? Because that was something that I was taught from the time I was knee-high, and uh, my teacher's response is we were chosen to be persecuted. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, if that's what we're chosen for, I don't want to be one of these people. And uh, there's, there's some truth to that. Uh, the calling of God, which, by the way, Romans 11 makes clear, is the Jewish people, and that calling is irrevocable. Right. Uh, goes on to say in Romans 11, 28 or 29, that they may be enemies of the gospel, but beloved for the sake of the fathers. Yep. That's an eternal commitment that a faithful God made uh, to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, th- I think there's a lot of clarity when you read Genesis 12. We were chosen to be a blessing to the world. Yeah. And that ultimate blessing is that it's through the Jewish people that the Messiah came. I'm, I'm looking at Judaism 101 website. It's jufacfaq.org. Uh, Judaism maintains that the righteous of all nations have a place in the world to come. This has been the majority rule since the days of the Talmud. Judaism generally recognizes that Christians and Muslims worship the same God that we do, and those who follow the tenets of their religion can be considered righteous in the eyes of God. But then it says this, interestingly, contrary to popular belief, Judaism does not maintain that Jews are better than other people. Although they refer to ourselves as God's chosen people, we do not believe that God chose the Jews because of any inherent superiority. 
According to the Talmud, God offered the Torah to all the nations of the earth, and the Jews were the only ones who accepted it. The story goes on to say that the Jews were offered the Torah last and accepted it only because God held a mountain over their heads. Uh, Another traditional story suggests God chose the Jewish nation because they were the lowliest of nations, and their success would be attributed to God's might rather than their own ability. Clearly, these are not the ideas of a people who think they are better than other nations. So I'm sure some Jews fall into that Jewish superiority mentality, but the sense of calling is a sense of privilege and responsibility. And because of that responsibility, there's been a lot of divine discipline. There's been a lot of divine judgment and scattering. And along with that, Satan himself trying to wipe out the Jewish people. And John, we'll come back to this on the other side of the break, but do you believe that the Jewish people must welcome the Messiah back? All right, we got a nod because the music started. I didn't know if I was supposed to answer or wait yeah. to, okay. the, to the next so segment. That was, that was a nod. Works better on TV yeah. than radio. It's a big yes, by the way. Big yes. All right, we'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, hearing the voice of Paul Wilbur singing reminds me that, God willing, I'll be seeing Paul Wilbur face-to-face tomorrow. This is Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. So it is Fort Mill, South Carolina, right? Just looking at a colleague here. Tomorrow night, so Friday night, Fort Mill, South Carolina, speaking with Paul Wilbur. He'll be doing worship. Aurora from Zion Conference should be very, very powerful, very, very special conference. Can't wait to be there. For info, go to askdrbrownaskdrbrown.org and click on itinerary. And then, and then, Sunday morning and evening, Grace Chapel in Franklin, Tennessee, with Pastor Steve Berger, talking about Jezebel, talking about the culture wars, bringing a gospel perspective, a fine, fine church, fine pastor. Cannot wait to be there. That'll be Sunday morning. So if you're anywhere near Nashville, join me, two Sunday morning services, or if you're busy Sunday morning, Sunday night, special meeting, all up on my itinerary, itinerary, askdrbrown.org. If you have a Jewish Related question, as always, phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. Sitting here with my friend and colleague, John Burnus, and, and one of the things I like best about John, he loves the things of the Spirit. He believes in the power of the Spirit. He believes in praying for the sick and seeing God back his word with signs and wonders. But John is not into hype. He doesn't preach or minister in a hype way. If you've seen the Jewish Voice broadcast on TV, which many of you have, He's not a hype guy. He's a solid businessman, good business mind. He is an excellent steward of God's funds. And yet he believes in the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit today. So, so John, you've encountered God. You've heard the voice of God. You've seen him move in power. But you're not one of these like jump, or, jump up and down, run around the room, shout kind of guys. So can the Holy Spirit move on people who are like business type people and systematic thinkers? Is it just for kind of like the crazy emotional ones that the Holy Spirit allegedly moves? Can he move on people like you too? Yeah, absolutely. My life was trend. It'll be 40 years ago next month. Come on. That I had an encounter with the Lord. I was actually just finishing my second year of business administration. Uh, 
at the University of Buffalo. And yeah, my life was transformed. I didn't I didn't get up and start shouting and and falling over. I had an encounter with I didn't hear any voice. I didn't have any vision. I just felt my separation from God as I was confronted with the scriptures uh, in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 6, that the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through the Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua. And uh, my life's never been, been the same since. And it's those times when I, I, I'm just alone, quietly sitting, reading the scriptures or talking to the Lord, when I experience his presence. This is not about religion. This is about a relationship with God and you don't have to scream until you're hoarse. You don't look. If you want to jump up and down for joy, we have something to jump up and down about. Yep. Uh, but it, he speaks in that still small voice today, as he did back in the time of Elijah. And it's Michael. It's been the greatest adventure of my life. I have to tell you. Yeah, and quite an adventure taking you to the former Soviet Union, taking you to. Latin America, Africa and too. To Africa, that's yeah. what I was going. Jews to Africa. are in Africa. I was going to Africa next. During the break, though, before we get to Africa, and friends, you want to hear what's happening in Africa. If you haven't heard it from Jonathan on Jewish Voice, you'll, you'll hear it today. But during the break, Jonathan asked me a question, what's this thing about the Noahide laws? It's as surprising for him as it was for me when I got a phone call some weeks ago from a Christian, Christian woman very concerned that Jews around the world are trying to enforce the Noahide laws by which Christians will be beheaded. And I said, that's, that's less real than Santa Claus coming down your chimney at Christmas. Well, in saying it, that stirred things up with folks that have been teaching some of these things uh, online. It wasn't a slam on them. I didn't even know that they existed or they were doing what they were doing. So we've since had, had dialogue and interacted about these things. But for those of you unfamiliar with this, the idea is this, that in rabbinic Judaism— there are allegedly seven laws that God gave, first six to Adam, then one to Noah, but so-called seven laws of Noah, which is what God requires of the nations of the world. So while Jews are responsible to keep the 613 commandments of the Torah, as embellished in rabbinic Judaism, that the Gentiles are only required to keep seven commandments. Don't commit idolatry, don't blaspheme, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, don't... Uh, uh, yeah, so adultery, blasphemy idolatry, don't steal, establish courts of justice, don't eat the flesh of a living animal, these basic laws, and if Gentiles live by them, they're considered righteous. They don't have to become Jews. What about Christians? Uh, Where do they fit? Well, there's some Jewish sources, major Jewish sources, that say that Christian belief in Jesus as God, Christian belief in the Trinity is idolatry, and therefore Christians are idolaters. The majority Jewish view and the view that's held in the widest parts of Judaism today is that Christianity is not idolatry for a Gentile. They would say it is for me, a Jew would consider me an idol worshiper, but for a Gentile, not. So that's the majority view. But in any case, Noahide laws are, are not something that's being enforced in the world. The Jewish, traditional Jewish view would be during the Messianic era, when the Messiah rules and reigns over the world, that this is what he'll require of Gentiles. So the concern is this that the idea of Noahide laws being something important has become more popular than it used to be. And even American presidents have said, we embrace this. In other words, as something that Christians, Muslims, and Jews have in common. And well, what's the penalty for not obeying the, the Noahide laws? Well, in the Messianic era, it would be death penalty. 
So would that mean then, according to some Jewish tradition, that Christians might be considered idolaters and have the death penalty? Yeah, theoretically, in the Messianic era, and some Jewish interpretation, yes, but just the same way as a Jew that didn't observe the Sabbath in the Messianic era would be put to death, all right, that all the laws will be enforced, and this will be the time where you'd see Isaiah 2 realized, Isaiah 11 realized, you know, universal peace, universal knowledge of God. So if someone's a transgressor, they're an outright transgressor. Well, the idea, well, no, no, but what's going to happen, this is what some people believe, what's going to happen is these laws are going to become more and more popular, and then once they spread more and people embrace them, then they'll begin to say, well, actually, you know, Christians, they're really bad, they're really idolaters, in fact, they, they are, etc., and kind of push in this direction, and then what ends up happening is that Jews who will be ruling the world because of a false messiah and antichrist will start beheading Christians. That's, that's the most preposterous thing. And if you worry about the Antichrist, you got a lot of other things to worry about at that time. Well, bottom line is, this whole thing completely collapses. The whole theory completely collapses because according to 2 Thessalonians 2, the Antichrist is going to set himself up as God. So if anyone gets beheaded, it's the Antichrist. The, the issue is not going to be with your fellow Noahide laws, the issue is whether you are worshiping the Antichrist. That's going to be the issue. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. So here you have Muslims beheading Christians in the present. You have crackdown on Christians in countries like communist China in the present. That, sh that should be the concern, what's happening here. Not this alleged Noahide conspiracy where Jews are going to somehow influence the whole world and then the world is going to start beheading Christians. Christians are going to behead it already and anyway. And, and during the tribulation and time of the Antichrist, I believe we're here, we're going to have other issues, not the Noahide laws, other issues. In any case, for saying some of that, for saying some of that on the air, I've gotten a flood of some of the most ugly, vile, anti-Semitic comments, many of them by professing Christians. That's what's so unfortunate. So, Jonathan, a lot of people out there actually believe this. And I'll get flack just for telling the truth about things today. It's just yet the latest lie about the notion of Jews taking over the world and enforcing these alleged laws. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I, I, I hadn't heard of that, but it's out, the conspiracy is what jumps out at me. It's just along the same lines as that all of these conspiracies of the Jewish people to take over the world, to control the economy, and on and on— it, you know, we meant we mentioned that there's Jews in Africa. There's a lot of anti-Semitism uh, in in Ethiopia, for example, where Jewish communities are being persecuted, uh, even homes destroyed and and people beaten, Jewish people beaten, because of this uh, this false uh, uh, teaching that somehow they uh, they're Buddha, they're they're labeled Buddha, not Buddhist, but Buddha. Buda, and the uh, the tradition is that they turn into hyenas and drink the blood of innocent children. It's like the blood libels of Eastern wow. Europe. The African yeah. version of the blood That's libels. That's the African wow. version of the blood libels. It's a, we're talking about spirits. We fight not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And Satan is uh, committed to the destruction of the Jewish people. I think for the specific reason that the Jewish people play a key role in the return of Christ. So we know God's heart beats for the nations. Uh, I've been outside of America on ministry trips about 200 times, and only to Israel, like 16 out of that. So I go to the nations constantly. Our missionaries serve the nations all around the world. 
God loves people. Jesus loved people. Jesus died for people, for the whole world. So this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all peoples before the end comes. That's one thing. And the Jewish people must be reached at all. Before we spend the rest of the time focusing on Africa, what is the key role, end-time role, Jonathan, of, of Jewish people in God's plan? Well, let me just reiterate something you said or reemphasize. It's not that God loves Jewish people more than anyone else. Uh, God loves everyone equally. I, I pray for Jew and Arab alike, Israeli and Palestinian. God loves us all equally. But in God's sovereignty, which I love Derek Prince's uh, definition of, of sovereignty, God can do whatever he wants the way he wants, and he doesn't have to ask anyone permission. In God's sovereignty, he chose Abraham. We don't know why, but he chose Abraham and declared that through his physical offspring, through Isaac and Jacob and their descendants, uh, God would be a blessing. God would bless the world, every, every family on earth. Uh, one quarter of one percent of the world's population, that's the Jewish that's the size of the Jewish community, a true minority. But look at all the Nobel Prizes that have been won by Jewish people. I think about 28% of all Nobel Prizes. Why? Is it because the Jewish people are so smart? Is it because they venerate education? Is it because they're so clever? I don't think it's any of those things. I think it's God's sovereignty in declaring in his word that he would, through the Jewish people, bring blessing to the world. And he... That it's been a disproportionate blessing, uh, a, a true minority, but uh, con- great contributions. Uh, ultimately, the, the bringing of the Messiah, and I think the Jewish people play a key role in his return. That and Christians don't understand this. And look, Jesus wants to be welcomed back by his own people before he comes back and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So the gospel's gone through the entire world. This Jewish message has gone to the entire world because of God's love for the entire world, but he hasn't forgotten the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's right. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. Boy, time does fly sitting here with my friend and colleague, Jonathan Burness of Jewish Voice. Again, you've probably seen him on Jewish Voice broadcast and heard about what's happening in Africa. So, Jonathan, how is it that there are Jews in Africa, Ethiopian Jews, Zimbabwean Jews? These, these are really Jews or Israelites uh, how is it, do we know the pattern, migration, where, which tribes came from the Middle East into Africa, how this worked? How, how much do we actually know about this? What does DNA tell us? Well, there's a few traditions, uh, according to the Ethiopian Jews, and there's, by the way, there's 140,000 Ethiopian Jews now living in Israel. It's a very significant population, uh, and they've been coming to Israel since the 80s. It's been a, there's been a concentrated effort uh, through the decades to repatriate uh, Ethiopian Jews uh, back to Israel. They claim it's their their heritage goes back to the time of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Uh, we know the Queen of Sheba came 
uh, to visit Solomon, and the tradition is they had a relationship and produced a son named Menelik, and that Menelik actually brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Ethiopia. Right. So that tradition there's a tradition that. that the Ark of the Covenant, which has been lost, is actually in Ethiopia. I'm not sure that it's true. I'm, I'm doubtful. But I'm not doubtful of the heritage of Ethiopians. They have been—remember the Ethiopian eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. He became a believer as a, as a Jew, as an Ethiopian Jew. Their claim is, the claim of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is that they converted to Christianity not from heathen heathenism, but from Judaism. Mm. Uh, and when you look at the traditions in the Orthodox Ethiopian Church, it's pretty amazing. Very solid Old Testament roots that they still observe. Uh, whether they go back to the Queen of Sheba or uh, came after the um, uh, dispersion of the Jewish people in 70 A.D. or 130 uh, A.D. or goes back to post-Babylonian captivity, we're not sure. But they've had a heritage, uh, an oral tradition for hundreds of years that they are Jews, and, and they're they're not recognized as Ethiopians. They're called Falasha, mm-hmm. which means uh, uh, wanderer, uh, you're not one of us. And as I said earlier, there's there's quite a bit of persecution. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the Zimbabwean Jews, because yeah, this yeah. is really fascinating. The Lemba tribe, uh, for about 800 years, they, their claim has been that they uh, migrated through Yemen, and they, they, if they're able to trace their their at their their path down to uh, Mozambique, South Africa, the majority live in Zimbabwe. They've had these claims for, for, for centuries that have been widely ignored until DNA testing. And about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was some DNA test done that proved their claim. Now, we've gone back and retested. We, we work with the uh, Lemba community. By the way, there's about 11,000 Jewish believers meeting in congregations between Zimbabwe and Ethiopia, just as a result of our the work of our ministry alone, wow, eleven thousand meeting weekly on Shabbat. It's amazing, uh, congregations springing up everywhere, everywhere. But we tested twenty four Lemba leaders, and twenty three of them had not only DNA that matched known Jewish DNA from places like North Africa and the Middle East. Uh, they're clearly of Middle East origin. But they had the Cohen yeah, the priestly. gene, the priestly yeah, the gene, which Amazing. is their claim that they're not only historically tied to the people of Israel, but from the the, they're the children of, of Aaron, the priests. And DNA, 23 out of 24, absolutely positive confirmation. Remarkable. Yeah, and I've, I've read those things and, of course, not been directly involved in, in looking at the studies, but remarkable to see that. And again, you'd even ask, why would you know where would the idea come from that you were connected with Israel if people didn't even know, you know, growing up in certain areas who Israel was, and then persisting of certain traditions when it's so contrary to the rest of the culture. And it's interesting you mentioned the Ethiopian Church, but then side by side you had these Ethiopian Jews who had never quote converted, who had never come to faith in Jesus, and now more and more of, of them are, and, and many of them have come to Israel as well. So God's doing something amazing. Uh, some of our friends with the Messianic Jewish Bible Institute were teaching a class there and needed copies of one of my volumes of 
answering Jewish objections to Jesus. I said, let me just send them as a gift, like 30 of the books. And they yeah, said, thank you, by the way, for that. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a privilege. But I mentioned it just to say they sent me this picture of there's the class. I thought, oh, what a privilege. I can't believe they're reading our stuff. What a privilege. So how, how did you happen upon this aspect of your ministry? Because it's a very, very major part of what you do now. It is. And it, I feel like I'm part of an Indiana Jones adventure. But instead of looking for the lost Ark of the Covenant, we're looking for the lost and scattered tribes of Israel. You know, God declared in his word, if you disobey my commandments, I will scatter you to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that truly happened. But he also declared the day will come when I will regather you back to the land, your land, but also back to your God. And that's what we're seeing in places like Ethiopia and Zimbabwe. It's amazing. Imagine this. These are people, Mike, that for hundreds of years have had their own butchers that follow the, the, the ordinance of the Old Testament concerning uh, meat, where they, they drain the blood. Uh, they circumcise their male children. They, on Passover, they kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts of their houses. Mm. They've been doing this for f- literally for centuries, and it's been handed down orally generation to generation. I heard about these people and then uh, had the opportunity to go and meet with the tribal elders, and we've been providing medical clinics, dental care, eye care, water purification, and as a result, we've had thousands of Lemba and Beta Israel in Ethiopia come to faith in, in Yeshua and Jesus. So did they have a tradition about waiting for a Messiah, or looking for a Messiah, and you've been able to tell them Jesus is that Messiah? Or have you had to introduce that whole concept to them? I, I think that's been mixed. The, the oral traditions have gotten a bit mixed up, but they do, they're not influenced by rabbinic right. theology. That, that's what's so amazing. They're strictly the scriptures of the, of the Tanakh, of the Old Testament. And yeah, there's been an expectation of a Messiah and a longing to go to the land of Israel. Uh, there's a saying in Ethiopia, some thirst for water, some are hungry for food, but we will go to Jerusalem. Remarkable. It's, just, it's in their hearts. Re- remarkable. And, you know, for many American Jews, like, what? It, Israeli Africans? But they could look at us and say, what? Israeli Caucasians, <laughs> they could be uh, equally surprised, but this is part of the journey of the Jewish people around the world. And of course, those in Africa are a lot closer to the origins of things than, than we are here in North America. What do you sense? We've got two and a half minutes before we're done. You're not one of these date setters or end time speculators, but what do you sense God's doing in the world today? What do you feel is unique and, and we should really be looking at? Well, I, I I am not a date setter, but I'm a season setter. I believe we're in the season that the prophets long to be in, the time known as the end of days or the latter days or the end times. And I believe, although we're going to see uh, more and more instability in the world, we're also going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a revival the likes of which we've never seen before. And I'm excited about that. I think the church is going to get brighter and brighter and brighter, that signs and wonders and miracles are going to be restored to the church in, in a, to a measure that we haven't seen since the first century. I just had dinner with our friend Sid Roth last night, so he's re-energized this in me. But I really believe it, and I believe we're going to see a massive revival among the Jewish people, 
not because God loves the Jewish people more than he loves anyone else, but that's his plan for the redemption of the world, that when the blindness comes off of the eyes of the Jewish people and they cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it signals the return of the Messiah, the near return of Jesus. So it's, it's each one doing its part, Jew and Gentile, each with a role, each doing its part. And obviously, Jewish people through the centuries have suffered much because of a divine calling. We often point out that the people of Israel are as old as the people of, of China or the people of India. Both of those nations have, what, almost a billion and a half people with maybe 14 million Jews in the world. So there's been great hardship, suffering as a result of the calling. And yet, God's purpose remains. Last minute, Jonathan, what, what can everybody do, every Christian, what, what could everyone do to make a difference here? Well, when it, since it's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, I, I think the, the call for Christians to pray by name. If you have a Jewish person in your life, they're not there by accident. Pray for them by name. Michael and I are here today uh, serving the Lord because of faithful Christians who prayed for us and shared their faith with us. And if you'll just do those two things, if you'll pray for Jewish people specifically by name, and you share your faith tactfully, lovingly with Jewish people that God has put into your life, uh, it will make a tremendous impact, and you'll fulfill your call to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy. That's what it says in Romans 11, 11. All right, friends, I know so many testimonies of Jewish leaders in ministry today who came to faith through the faithful prayers of a Gentile Christian and the faithful witness of a Gentile Christian the greatest thing we can do for a Jewish person is introduce that person to Yeshua. And it could well be that God wants to use you. Your prayers, your witness, your giving. We do this together and we welcome back the Lord whose face we long to see. All right, tomorrow you've got questions, we've got answers. We'll be right here.